Hear the word of God. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, and through the mouth of our father David, your servant, who said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Eternal Father, we ask this morning that you would be present with us in the preaching of your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be present here in this room, even as it was present on that day that we've just read about even as it was present in the writing of the Acts of the Apostles. We pray this morning that you would illuminate our minds and that you would soften our hearts to receive your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. The title of this morning's sermon is Christian Confidence Coming Out of the Closet for Jesus, because you are the light of the world. 
Now, there are different personalities, and some people are more at ease in letting their light shine. You know the sort. They're the first to jump up to answer a question or to make a suggestion. They're uninhibited when playing charades. They take the lead on the dance floor at wedding receptions. They sing Bohemian Rhapsody in karaoke bars. And some of them wear red jackets and paisley bow ties when preaching. Now, truthfully, in my case, this garb is a disguise. I'm pretending to be a guy who likes to let his light shine. Those of you who know me know that I'm an introvert in an extrovert's profession. I love God. I love God's Word. I love God's people. But honestly, I'm content to be holed up with my books. And after I've spent some time with you on Sunday morning, I go home and I hide under my blankets. You, however are the light of the world. And some of you blaze bright and bold and you you bring warmth and encouragement to people around you. And those of you who are more shy and retiring, well, you dispel the darkness in the little corner of the world where you are. And every light does help. Our light, of course, is a reflected light. It's a second-hand light. It's a borrowed light. Jesus said... I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Follow Jesus and you'll have the light of life. Don't follow Jesus and you will stumble along in darkness. No good to yourself and no good to others. Now there is a basic principle of biblical interpretation, which... I've talked about before in this pulpit, I need to get a name for it or maybe copyright it, but the principle is this. If the Bible says do X, Y, and Z, it's because some of us are not doing X, Y, and Z. And if the Bible says don't do A, B, and C, it's because some of us are doing A, B, and C. Does that make sense? The reason the Bible says honor your father and your mother is because some of us are not honoring our parents. The reason the Bible says don't commit adultery is because some of us are committing adultery. The commands of the Bible, both the positive commands and the negative commands, are encouragements and exhortations to do the right thing. So when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, let your light shine for all to see... It's because he knows that some of us, maybe all of us, need to be encouraged and exhorted to do the right thing. In his deep, deep love for us, God the Father sent Jesus the Son into the world to be the light of the world, a world that is plagued with darkness. And in his deep, deep love for humankind, Jesus the Son sends out Christians, little Christs, throughout the world. So that his light might be seen in every nook and cranny of creation. If you have ever seen the light of Christ. If you have the light of Christ inside of you. It's only because some Christian. Some little Christ brought that light to you. And so I want you to think right now. About how the light of Christ dawned in your life. I want you to remember back to the time, perhaps it was just a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was a few decades ago, when the beauty of the gospel began to make sense to you and the light of the gospel dawned in your life. 
You began to see things in a new way. You began to understand God's love for you. You began to grasp God's plan for your life. And you made a choice to own Jesus as your Savior and to follow Him as your Lord. You became an out-of-the-closet Christian. Who was it that shared the light of Christ with you? Do you remember their names? For most of us, there were a number of people who kept shining the light of Christ in our lives. A grandmother, perhaps. A Sunday school teacher. A friend at school. A pastor. For most of us, our conversion was a process. It didn't happen all at once. But slowly the light dawned until that blessed moment when all of the truths that we had been hearing and seeing snapped into focus and our minds and our hearts and our wills aligned. And we made a choice to follow Jesus. We became out-of-the-closet Christians. Who were the people who were the light of Christ to you. Do you remember their names? Let's take just a moment to remember those people and to name some names this morning in a prayer of thanksgiving to God right now. Let us pray. Father God Almighty, we honor you and we bless your name this day and we thank you for the saints who have gone before us. For the saints who were filled with your love and shared that love with us. We thank you that your gospel has gone down through generation and generation and generation and century and century and has spread and spread and spread. And Lord God, we thank you for the mercy that you have shown us by letting someone speak that gospel to us. Hear us now in the quiet of our heart as we name those names to you. All glory and honor to you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Now I want you to think about how sweet and satisfying it will be one day to have that same prayer said by someone who names your name as the person who brought the light of Christ to them. At the end of this life, We go to our eternal reward. At the end of this life, some of us will have crowns to wear. And the people that we lead to Christ are going to be the jewels in our crown. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Christians in Thessalonica, says, What is my hope, my joy, or the crown in which I glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when He comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are my glory and my joy. When the saints of HVPC get to heaven, I want you to be wearing really big and gaudy crowns. 
I want your glory and your joy to be those individuals who came to know Christ because you let your light shine. You can change someone's life. You can rescue someone from darkness and death. You can lead someone to safety and to eternal life. Someone did it for you. And you can do it for others. And I want your heavenly crown to fill you with joy. I want it to be your glory. Now some of my hyper-Calvinist friends are getting a little nervous right now. They're a little worried that the pastor has gone off the deep end of Arminianism. Don't worry. I know that no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. I know that the Holy Spirit is required for the light of the gospel to penetrate a sin-darkened mind. And I know that when we get to heaven, we will be throwing our crowns at the feet of God, saying, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive all glory and honor and power, for you created all things. I know that. But hear me clearly. I want you to have a really big and fancy crown to cast at the feet of God when that day comes, because God deserves it. And he deserves your highest praise. And if all you've got on that day is a ratty golf hat, well, I guess you'll throw that at his feet too. But I really hope you have a glorious crown of gold to show for your life, a life that Jesus redeemed at the cost of his own life. I hope you want that. I hope in your heart of hearts you want your life to count for Jesus. I hope Jesus has rescued you from the pit of death. That because of his rescue, you are willing to lay your whole life on the altar of God. I hope you are willing to commit everything that you are to him. I hope that the desire of your heart is to bring glory to God and to bring Many sons into glory as well. Sons and daughters into glory. I hope that desire burns bright within you. Maybe that will be your prayer. Lord God, you gave me life. Now let me live to bring you glory. As a miserable sinner who has been redeemed by God's free grace, I know that the flesh the old man, the old nature, that the flesh is always warring against the spirit. Anytime the love of God inflames our spirit and fires us up to live for Jesus, I know that the old flesh will be there dragging his feet. The Holy Spirit fires you with a desire for single-minded holiness and victorious Christian living, and the old flesh says, well, now wait a minute, let's not get carried away. A little religion is fine, but let's not make fools of ourselves. The love of Christ inspires you to lay down your life and to take up your cross to follow Jesus. And the old flesh says, slow down. No need to be in such a rush. There's no loss in having a little bit of fun along the way. No one needs to know. The flesh is always warring against the spirit. Which is why we need the word of God. Which is why we need the Holy Spirit. Which is why we need the fellowship of the saints. To repeatedly remind us and encourage us and exhort us. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine for all to see.
Our two readings this morning from the Acts of the Apostles and from the Epistle to the Hebrews contain very practical information on how we can do just that, how we can let our light shine for the whole world to see, even when our flesh says, take it easy, pal. In our reading from the Acts of the Apostles, Peter and John have spent the night in jail. And then they had a trial before the elders uh, there in the temple in Jerusalem. The day before, Peter and John had been preaching in the temple about the resurrection, about Jesus' resurrection, and about how if we are in Jesus through faith, our sins will be forgiven and we too will be resurrected. And the leaders of the temple are not happy. There are a whole bunch of reasons why they are not happy. We don't have time this morning to go into all of those reasons. But know this. If you talk about the resurrection, if you talk about faith in Jesus, there are some people who will not be happy. And some people might even be willing to make your life uncomfortable if you keep it up. Peter himself was crucified upside down because of his preaching. And John will die in exile on the Isle of Patmos. Every day, Christians are killed because of their faith. Martyrdom is not a thing of the past. It is a present reality. There is just something about Jesus that makes some people angry. But not everyone. For those whom God is calling to himself, the gospel is the sweetest light and the clearest truth that makes sense of their lives and gives them the hope that they never had before. As Christians, we are always putting up with grief from those who hate Christ for the opportunity to share Christ with those who have been waiting for their whole lives to hear about him. At the trial, the officials in the temple didn't know what to do with Peter and John. So many people had seen this remarkable healing of this lame man. So the officials have to release Peter and John. But first they tell him to shut up. Shut up about Jesus. Stop talking about him. Go back to your jobs. Go back to being fishermen. And stop all of this nonsense about Jesus. Peter and John reply, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And then Peter and John return to their friends to tell them what had happened. And the response of the saints is fascinating. I also think it's very instructive for us. In response to the threats and to the warnings to not talk about Jesus anymore, the saints gathered, I'm guessing they're still up in that upper room, which I'm imagining they had rented, and they pray to God. And here's what they pray. Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth, grant to your servants to continue To speak your word with all boldness. God, they are telling us to not speak your word. Give us the boldness to go ahead and speak it anyway. Man, I love that prayer. This is a great prayer. Now, I got about 10,000 reasons I love this prayer. But let me mention just one. This is a prayer that God would change me rather than change the world. 
Do you see that? They could have prayed, Sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth, give us new rulers so that we might be free to speak your word without persecution. Or, Sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth, change the laws of this country so that it is easier to be a Christian. Do you see the difference? I can't tell you how important this difference is. I've mentioned it before and I'll mention it again, but so often I have people coming to me because there's trouble in their life. Because there's trouble in their family, because there's trouble in their neighborhood, because there's trouble in the world, because there's trouble in their marriage, and they want God to change things. But they don't want God to change them. I'm just fine, God. But would you please change my wife? Would you please change my boss? Would you please change my children? Would you please change America? Would you please change the church? Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness until we're crucified. That's a great prayer. And that's a prayer we can expect will be answered. Peter and John, and really the whole church that's gathered there, Peter and John face opposition to telling other people about what they've seen happen in Jesus. They face opposition to telling other people about uh, what they've read in the scriptures. And rather than pray that the opposition might be removed, they pray that their cowardice and their timidity and their shrinking backedness might be removed. They pray for boldness. God will answer that prayer. Honestly, it's a prayer that I should pray more often than I do, even though I am in this safe and friendly environment of a church, there are times when I am reluctant to speak everything that God has put on my heart. There are times when I'm reluctant to speak everything that God has put into the Scriptures. I'm reluctant to speak because I know what the blowback might be. Well, I better not say that because Miss So-and-so would be really upset. I better skip that part because Mr. You-Know-Who doesn't like that part. We are the light of the world. By the grace of God, we have the light of Christ within us. And yet, too often, we put the light under a bowl. Because light reveals some things that some folks would just rather have remain in darkness. The light of Christ illuminates the path of life, but it also reveals what's lying in the gutter on both sides of that path. Grant to your servant to continue to speak your word with all boldness is what the church prayed that day, and God answered that prayer. We read in verse 31 of chapter 4, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together continued to speak the word of God in boldness. Are you ready for this place to be shaken? Or would you rather keep things on an even keel? The word boldness, parousia in Greek, 
means to do things openly, publicly, plainly, confidently, boldly, without wavering. It is the opposite of hiding. It is the opposite of being double-minded. It is the opposite of being a chameleon who blends in with the surrounding culture. If the world does not know that you're a Christian, you're probably not. Christian boldness means being out of the closet. We need to be out of the closet Christians. It's easy to be Christians when you're in a room full of Christians. It's one of the reasons we get together regularly to enjoy the fellowship of like-minded people. But we need to also be Christians out in the world among the pagans and the scoffers who think that our faith is just crazy. When we think of Christian character, we often think of meekness. And certainly Christians are called to be meek, but boldness is also a fundamental Christian character trait. Boldness and confidence in Christ. We need more boldness here at HVPC. We need more boldness so that our light will shine more brightly. So that others will come to know Christ. So that we will have glorious crowns when we get to heaven one day soon. So how do we get it? How do we get this boldness? Well, first you pray for it. You ask. You ask God. God make me bold. Another thing that we can do is we can meditate on the truths that we read in the epistle to the Hebrews. Let me read those for you again. Rosie read those earlier in the service. This is Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 25. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit for some to do, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as we see the day of the Lord drawing near. I could preach a whole sermon, of course, on that one passage, but let me just make a couple of quick observations before we close. First, our boldness in speaking the word of God is the result of the confidence that we have before God. We enter the holy place of God confidently. Not because we're good, not because we're pure, not because we're righteous, not because we're holy. But we enter into that place through Christ who gave his body to be broken for us who sprinkled us with his blood and cleans us from our sin by his own death. We come before God boldly because once we're in Christ, once we're united to Christ by faith, we are no longer God's enemy. We're no longer strangers to God. We now, because of faith in Jesus have him as our father and as our supporter and we are welcomed at his table to enjoy the feast forever. 
Because of this confidence that we have through our faith in Christ, we are therefore exhorted to hold fast to that faith, to not let it flag or waver. Here's the truth. Your faith today may not be as strong as the day that you first believed in Christ. Your faith today may not be as strong as it was last year. Because we're living in the flesh, because the old man has not been put off yet fully, our faith goes up and it goes down and it goes up and it goes down. And so scripture exhorts us to keep pushing it up. Don't let your faith slip back. Don't be content with a half-hearted faith. Gather with the saints on a regular basis so that you can be encouraging one another in your faith. You strengthen your faith by being with other faithful people. It is not possible to keep your faith if you are separated from the body of Christ. The scripture says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day of the Lord drawing near. Meet together. Stir up one another to love and good works. Encourage one another. That's how we do it. And where do we do that? Well, we do that right here. We do it every Sunday morning. Even in the midst of COVID-19 crisis. And we do it throughout the week in many small group Bible studies that meet in homes and here at the church. The worst thing that a person with flagging faith can do is to draw back from the church and say, Well, you know, I'm not feeling it right now. I'll go to church when I feel it. That's a recipe for disaster. When you're not feeling a closeness to God, that's when you need to run to church. That's when you need to scour the bulletin and the website and figure out where there is a Bible study happening tonight. We are told to work out our faith with our salvation with fear and trembling. But we're never told to work out our salvation alone. It happens in community. It happens in the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ are what encourage our faith and stir us up to love and good works. That's the truth. And that's the truth that some people who are not here today need to hear from us this week. And so when you go out from this place, I want you to go and tell them. I want you to go out from this place and let your light shine in this world. Let us pray. Father God, we honor you and we bless your name this day and we ask that you would seal your word to our hearts. We pray that we might not just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. We pray this in Jesus' name.